welcome everyone to another episode of Microsoft Spotlight Podcast. Um, this has been our, f- our first episode of 2024, which we've recorded, and um, we've had a little bit of a break. Um, we've refreshed, we've re-energized, and um, possibly a little bit of a new direction to, to the podcast. Um, today I'm joined by my usual host, Andrew Moran. How are you doing, Andrew? You good? I am good. I'm good. Say so, say. So- We've had a bit of a you know a change of direction because we want to obviously make sure this podcast is delivering the very best and giving a well-rounded view of not just from mine and John's perspective and the guests that come on, um, all the women in tech, but also it's nice to get some male allies to come in and actually speak about what they're currently doing because we know we've got some, we know some great male allies who are joined by one today um, who actually spoke with us at South Coast Summit, I think it was two years ago in our panel now. Um, so we know a little bit about his background and how he got into IT. So I thought it'd be nice to share that wider through this podcast. Obviously, doesn't yeah, have more so, engaging conversations. Yeah, hundred percent. So I think um, this man needs no intro. It's Peter Rising, um, author, um, YouTuber, um, all round, <laughs> all round great guy. I don't think there's anyone that's ever said had a bad word to say about you, Peter. So welcome to the podcast. Uh, is it your second time? Is it the second time you've been on the podcast? I think. I recorded, you recorded uh, one, a yeah. segment when you had yeah. male allies record a small sort of uh, testimonials as to why they were allies to women in tech. But this is my first time as an actual guest, so it's a pleasure to be here. Thanks, uh, John and Andrew. It's uh, it's nice to just catch up with you both, as we, we said just before we started recording, because it's been a while. So great to be here, and thank you so much for inviting me. No worries. I don't think we could have had a, a better first guest for this new series, eh? <laughs> oh, so let's proud. let's dig, dig straight into it, um, Pete. Like what we do um, normally, give a bit of an intro on kind of what you're doing at the moment in terms of work, um, and just a little bit of background on yourself. If that's right. Sure. Yeah. Well, um, so Peter Rising, Microsoft MVP, and as you've already said, YouTube author, all those sort of things. But um, day to day, I am currently working for a wonderful organization called Insight, which is a, a global solutions integrator. I have the privilege of being the consulting services manager for a, a security and compliance team of consultants and architects. And uh, I joined last year. And when I joined, there was three of us in the team. We're now 15 strong across uh, EMEA, which is awesome to see the team grow. And it'll probably not surprise you to learn that uh, I've made every effort to make sure that we have a very diverse team across uh, our EMEA locations that includes uh, four of those individuals are are female and um, uh, two of which are are, are very, very young next generational talents. And uh, I'm all about that, as as, as you guys know, and and the reasons for that go back to the the very start of, of my own career in IT in the in the mid 90s. So um, that's where I'm at at the moment. I'm doing that. I'm doing my YouTube channel, which uh, I've been doing for about a year, about the same amount of time that I've been at Insight, actually, because I wanted to just help people and um, get some tech demos out there, exam guide content. Uh, I'm focusing very heavily on that in my, if you can call it spare time at the moment. 
taking a break from doesn't the, exist. The There's no such thing as spare time. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> taking a break from the writing right now. I'm a bit burned out with the writing. I don't want to write another book for a while. Um, I'm not even sure if I want to write another tech book. To be honest, if I author anything going forward, I, I think I'd like to do something different. But but yeah, that's that's where I'm at right now, and I'm thoroughly enjoying life. It's got its ups and downs for sure, challenges, but overall, it's all positive. It's all good. Awesome. I got some questions to get out, like teed up from from that intro, but kind of like let's dive into how you started into IT because I think it's a fascinating story. I think you shared it on LinkedIn recently, and I think that's how I kind of um, spoke to you before the podcast and and and, and that. But give, can you give us a bit of a background? You're an office staff, um, like office admin type person. And, uh, yes. Yeah. Exactly that. Okay, cool. Yeah. Wow. Good memory. <laughs> so it was around about mid 90s, sort of 94. I'd been working uh, in a law firm in Newcastle upon Tyne, which is my home city or closest to these days. I'm a bit further down the road, but and I'd been there a long time already. I actually started with that as my first job in 1988, showing how old I am here. <laughs> I'm 52 this year. But um, and I'd been. I was born in 87, by the way. Why is it? Next year is my fourth, if so, yeah, we'll, we'll get in there. <laughs> <laughs> wow, uh, now I feel old. But, uh... <laughs> but yeah, started work in 1988, would you believe? <clears throat> uh, a long time, and I've still got 15 odd years to go before I can retire, but hey, I'm loving it. But um, And I started as the office junior. I, I came out of school with really no qualifications. I was never very academic, never, I was a daydreamer, teacher's was like your head somewhere else you're on the planet and I didn't get very good grades and I just wanted to get out into the working world thinking it would be easy but uh, <laughs> I got this job as an office junior which basically meant I did all the photocopying I would deliver letters around the city I would uh, take the post to the post office at the end of the day collect it in the morning and open it and uh, do the really awful jobs that nobody else wanted to do like shredding and um, we were on a street where there was a bar next door so you can imagine the sort of stuff that greeted me on the front step of the premises on the on the morning so it was my job to clean up that sort of mess as well so all the jobs nobody wanted to do I then progressed to the lofty heights of filing clerk a few years afterwards which was a which a little bit of a step up um, so it's put all the files away and archive them and uh, physical files, I mean, um, and box them up and take them on my little trolley to the storage facility that we had, which is a short walk through the city, and then go and get them back when lawyers wanted them for reference. So it's a bit different from the world we're in today, isn't it, where everything is accessible on Office 365. But um, around this time, obviously, uh, the legal secretaries who were worked for that organization, they all worked on these brother typewriters, clicky clicky typewriters. And uh, slowly but surely, they got word processors in. Uh, and then it, eventually, they started moving towards Windows PCs. And it was Windows 3.1, Windows 95 around that time was just starting to come into play. And they hired an IT manager. And her name was uh, and is well, De Deborah Hayward. And um, I, I haven't spoken with Deborah for a good few years. We occasionally have caught up on on LinkedIn over the over the years. But when um, she came in, and as you can imagine, technology was starting to really take off. And her role got very busy very quickly. She was on her own in a growing law firm, the, one of the largest in the Northeast. And 
my desk is finally clogged, just happened to be next to her office. And she was getting really stressed. And she said to me, Peter, do you know, do you, do you fancy learning this? Do you fancy sort of, I could do with some help and I'll give you your first job as my IT support assistant, I think I was called. And I was, yeah, I've been five years really not any direction and this was amazing i thought I, I can really get into this and i took to it like a duck to water i just started realizing i could do this i could build pcs i could fix printers i could do all that sort of stuff and uh that was my way in and i never forgot that because uh deborah took a chance on me and um gave me my my start in this in this career i didn't have a career until that point i had a job um, and this was a starting point for me that I could latch onto and, and take and run with. And I really loved it and got a passion for it. Uh, so I never forgot that. And from that moment on, I, I made a commitment that um, I, I could see how challenging that was in the mid 90s for a woman and to be in a, the tech industry. Although knowing Deborah, if you know, if you knew her, you wouldn't know it was a challenge because she was very, very um uh, confident and uh, didn't shy away from challenges with a very, uh, even at that time, male-dominated environment. Uh, she could she could hold her own for sure. She didn't let anyone push her around. But when you think about the challenges of um, being a woman in the tech industry t today, even um, and and some of the discrimination and uh, inequalities that we are faced with, even in in a quarter of the way through the 21st century um deborah being in that role in the mid 90s is, and being so successful and accepted is is absolutely incredible and a real inspiration so i knew i had to be a voice for women in in the tech industry going forward so that's how it all began that's why i'm so passionate about being a an ally um uh, to to our wonderful women in tech and i've been privileged along the way to to know many um not enough there's the, the still not enough and uh but in those early days you you would you would come across um very few but what, when you did it was always a really pleasant surprise to say oh this is great you that uh that you're a woman in in, in the tech industry but uh, it was challenging for them to to be taken seriously to be accepted quite a lot of the prejudices of those male attitudes and you still get it today, but examples of which might be um, the technical expert is a female, they're in a room with a male colleague who is not a technical expert. There's a question asked, which is more appropriately answered by the female technical expert, the technical expert, and um, that's just disregarded by whoever's answered the, asked the question. And, and they go to the male sort of, might be a sales colleague, for example, and they're not gonna know this, and they're quite rightly will defer back, well, no, that's, um, um this individual should answer that not me so yeah i think um, i think we've probably yeah. all i think we've all probably um witnessed that um in our in our careers and mm. also I'm just, um, we've heard it quite a lot on this podcast as well so a lot of a lot mm. of our um, guests that have said said that in the, in the past but kind so, of um I can't we, remember we, who it was, in our but... in our, our positions in in the work in life, when we do attend physical meetings when they are done, you would generally see that there's a lot of male technical people in the room, and then probably a female project manager. Yeah. There's never a male project, uh, you know, co coordinator, and then loads of technical females in the room. That doesn't happen. So it's, mm. I mean, even not from a you know a project manager perspective, you know. 
we also need to make sure their voice is heard. Yes, they're not a true woman in tech and they're not you know, a technical person, but they they do know enough about what they're there for to understand, to be able to, to help deliver that, that piece of work. And, it's, you know, I, I, can, I can say I've never been in a room where it's purely women that are technical people. And when I have been in a room where there are strong technical women, I mean, the, the, the one example I always all the time is Tina Shepard. She's, you know, massively well-known within the the UC space, been doing Microsoft Teams, stroke Link, stroke LCS from when since my God was a boy. Probably won't be saying that, but you know, but, but Tina, Tina's amazing. She she's one person when you're in a room with her and you'll help help doing that conversation with the customer. She very much is a leader and she's you know well respected. Yeah, yeah. absolutely. I, I totally agree with that perspective. And um what when you sort of break this the, these biases and attitudes down to the component element. When you think about human beings, what we are at the end of the day, we're all just thoughts and consciousness. We're all the same underneath. We just happen to be in different vehicles. And um, the definitions of those genders are uh, a lot more um, diverse today than than they used to be in, in the times that I was growing up, for sure. But we're all just consciousness and thought. Um, so I've never quite understood this distinction why there is these prejudices and why certain roles are um, are more perceived to be male or female. I mean, you do get it in reverse as well. To this day, you will usually find that HR departments are and marketing departments are predominantly female. Um, th there are exceptions to that, but um, in, in general, you, you do still find those male and female stereotypes. Um, but I'm really keen to just make sure that in and amongst that, whilst that's still there, that that perception, that status quo, if you like, that we enable those um, young females who are passionate about getting into a tech role, that they know there's a path for them, that they know that they can be supported. And uh, it's, it's equally for them as it is for any young guy coming out of school or college or university. So that's what I'm passionate about. So question I had um, from your intro is um, you've expanded your team exponentially over the past um, year. Um, what's that? Um, times by what, five? Um, grew the team by multiple five. And that's impressive. But what's more impressive is the amount of females you've added within um, the um, the team. And in my previous role, um, I think I um, I was part of the hiring team for about ten to ten of ten to fifteen consultants over a five six mm. years period, and yeah. in terms of like the actual interview process, we were just seeing uh, probably interview two, two mm. female two two women over that over that um, period of time. How 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 did you actually kind of like first get the applications through the door to get to interview mm. and then? How did you kind of whittle it down to, to to get such good people to be within your team? Yeah, I mean, of the four female individuals in my team right now, they're all very different stories. And I'm very, very fortunate that they all came to uh, end up at my door. So um, one of those is uh, an individual who is of a, a similar age to myself. And uh, she had the wish to retrain completely she had another career path but wanted to get into security consultancy in in, in the tech world and uh, she was already in our organization at insight and um, and approached 
me to um, or, or my superior more accurately uh, to be truthful and uh, to ask if there was an opportunity to talk with me and see if yeah. there was a uh, a pathway and I was all for that because uh, I love that um, that courage if, if nothing else and that strength of character and that determination to think um, I want to make a complete change I want to go for something totally different so we had that conversation and what I go by as much as anything else on an interview is when I meet somebody for the first time on a, and it's usually in this format these days, it's very rare it's face to face, but even on a virtual call, I, I've usually made my mind up within about two minutes of talking mm -hmm. to the individual in terms of, I can work with this person. This is somebody who Same. I think has got, got it, whatever it mm -hmm. may be. Equally, I, I can know immediately if the other mm -hmm. um, way is true it's very I'm very fortunate that I have that ability to, to size people up very quickly and I knew uh, in this case that I could work with this individual and, and and it's proving to be the case she's been an absolutely wonderful asset she brings experience uh, in other sectors which are transferable and relevant to the role that she's now learning and training for um, the other three individuals are are uh, much younger what we would call next generation talent which we are all about supporting across all genders at insight anyway um and we're very fortunate in that we have something called the skills academy insight where people can come in it's like an internship it's like mm -hmm. a six-month program uh and they go through all aspects of the organization and they look at sales and uh, solutions and technical and then they can apply for roles and when i started at insight within a week one of these young individuals had approached me because part of their learning path in the skills academy is to network with useful people that they think can help and support them and they can learn from and have as mentors and and she reached out to me uh and immediately again i was like yes this is somebody who i think could learn and uh it's about the person the, the skills are teachable uh and if the person is right uh and you think they're going to be a good fit in that respect then everything else can be taught and they can learn from the other more established consultants and architects around them who have that experience and who can share that with them and we actually from that the the genesis uh of, of something we have now we, we started then it's what is known as our associate consultant program which is effectively a junior consultant mm -hmm. role that we've devised especially for younger talent like that who can come out of our skills academy or maybe transfer from other roles because one of the other individuals is a uh, a young uh, individual she was working uh, as maternity cover for one year in our marketing team and she reached out saying that she wanted to get into this area wanted that career change and marketing's a great um experience for us to have in terms of new offerings and offering development and how things look on one pages and collateral so um and again i knew that she was going to be a quick learner she had the passion the drive to succeed the only one that came from a an agency was was the final um individual and she as you can expect there's, there's still that when you go to an agency seeking a certain role it was a technical consultant consultant role i had about i don't know 15 or so male candidates and then uh and then this one female cv came through and immediately her cv stood out to me and it's not because she was female it was just the way it was worded because mm -hmm. i sometimes I'm, I'm conscious i i do wonder if i'm 
maybe biased the other way sometimes that I seek out female candidates um, at the expense of maybe um, more qualified and more suitable male candidates. I don't consciously do that, but um, but this CV stood out to me. And when I came to interview her, again, I immediately knew, yes, this is somebody who's going to be a, an awesome fit and it's proven to be the case. So four very different stories, and mm. I'm very, very happy and privileged that uh, they all decided to put their trust in me and join the team. Yeah, that's a that's... question then about the CV then. So what really made it stand out from the rest? I mean, the organisation that I work for, they've done a lot of work recently um, around the wording in job descriptions to try and make it as inclusive as possible because yeah, Ooh. as an architect in my team in digital workplace, we have you no know, zero females working for us. It's something that mm. you know we want to try and address we're trying to address it internally but i don't think there's the the right people within the business to move over into our roles so i like what you've done with obviously the skills academy and that kind of like transition period i think that's you know quite a, a good step to go down but what really stood out in that cv to make her so attractive that the mm -hmm. others you know put behind in any cv i look for the little details as much as um the experience that's in there and it's it's how it's presented how it's laid out how readable it is from start to finish sometimes i look at tvs and i get bored when i'm on halfway down page one um so if it grabs your attention first with a good introduction about this is who i am this is a, a good summary is important um equally i look for the tiny little details like the spelling and the grammar that sort of thing and this is an individual who is uh not originally from the uk she's um she's from uh, mainland europe uh, so english is not her first language so uh, and it was a wonderful cv beautifully presented easy to read through interesting stories it wasn't uh, a bunch of dry statistics uh laid out with these are my qualifications this is where i work there was uh, a bit of a story in there a bit of a bit of a narrative and and i look for those extra little details when looking to be truthful overall i i and um our, our mutual good friend will roll may, may or may not agree with me on this i think cvs are dead i i think the i don't think they're necessary anymore um most recruitment consultants that i talk to disagree with that I, I, th I think you you don't really get much of an impression of the person from those couple of sheets of paper or on a, on a PDF now. Um, this was an exception. That's one of the other reasons why I thought it's like her personality was on the on the paper on the page. But in general, I think I just want to um, maybe take a look at a LinkedIn profile because then you can. And some people do put the photos on a on a CV now. I think that helps. I think that helps if you get an image of the, the person as well, because uh, then you can put a name to the face or a face to the name and little little details make all the difference, I find. Yeah, I may agree with that. I mean, I know for my own CV, I always try and include all my social media links so yes, mm. they can go out and find out who I am. There's obviously links there to my uh, transcript as well, so they can see all the exams that I've done, you know, yep. whether, whether they're up to date or whatnot. So. I think, yeah, like you say, them small little details do help because, yes, it's great reading all your technical experience. It's going to be similar to other people if you're applying for the, the same kind of role. Um, mm. But it's, it's like you need to be able to just show yourself in a way that obviously stands out and obviously, yeah, putting a picture on there, putting any kind of like logos that you might, like associations you might be a part of, 
whether that's from a volunteering perspective or you're running a particular club or something like that, I think they also help show you what kind of person you are because, yes, you know, we're here to get paid. That's, that, that's what we do. But you need to show that, you know, you do stuff outside of work as well and have, you know, something about you. Oh, definitely. And that's what our wider community is all about. And uh, something that I've tried to inspire internally at Insight. I mean, Insight's a, a big global organization. Uh, and I've tried to get interest in people all across Insight. I mean, mainly in the UK and EMEA because that's where we're closest to. But get people interested in getting engaged in the community and, and maybe even ultimately involved in getting nominated for MVP. And there are some who have uh we've got our little internal community of, of practice that we started for that where people can come and talk to me and find out what it's all about and we've got two or three individuals some male some female that have really grasped that by the the, the throat and they've gone for it and started a TikTok or a, a linkedin video series or that sort of thing and uh it's wonderful to see people getting it and wanting to get that wider involvement and realize that you can build a a brand for yourself which can ultimately benefit your career as well so it's a two-way street isn't it yeah, definitely so the one thing that obviously you know i know about you and that i like a lot is obviously you started a podcast called uh, cloud conversations and obviously that mm -hmm. was with Rue, and Rue's obviously a great guy as well um but obviously over time you also transitioned in cat and yeah. Is it, uh, and also, she's got a, a Microsoft uh, Microsoft first name, um, Azure McFarland Azure. as well. Azure, yeah. So I like Brilliant, the fact that obviously you included, you know, our conversation to be not just more about two guys, middle-aged, sitting there, you know, talking about tech. It's also including women as well, because it's also nice to have their perspective on technology as well and how it's going. Oh, very much so. And when Rue and I started it out, just the two of us, it was actually called Cloud Conversations with Rue and Pete. Uh, I mean, I, I don't typically <laughs> go by Pete. I, I, I sort of describe myself as Peter, but everyone pretty much calls me Pete. And call me what you like. I don't really care. But um, I digress. But when when it was being well received and started to get a bit of traction, I, I th uh, and it was becoming difficult for us to record regularly and get us together, I thought, well, let's add another host. And I and, and Rue completely agree with me. I said that I think the next host should definitely be a female host, just so we get some diversity and hopefully. Um, I mean, there's always uh, the, a selfish motive as well, and, and part of that of trying to attract a more diverse audience as well. That that's built into it, but um, that never seems to happen. Unfortunately, that's one thing that is quite frustrating. That when I look at my YouTube channel now, the engagement on that is about eighty percent male, if not more. But Getting back to cloud conversations, we, I had known Kat for a short time at that point. She, I reached out to her because I was impressed with what she was sharing on LinkedIn. And I thought, this is somebody who is so right for the MVP program. And I wanted to guide her and ultimately nominate her for that. And, and I said to her, um, do you know what? Uh, we really want another host on the podcast. She'd already been a guest at that time. I think everyone had who ended up being a host. And we really like the host to be you. And she was so blown away. She couldn't believe that we'd chosen her and, and, and invited her to do it. But she was awesome, um, is awesome. And over time, we just grew it and it became even more difficult to organize guests, especially internationally, the time differences. So we realized we we could do with maybe as a host on uh, the other side of the pond. So Azure had been on the, on the show previously as a guest. So we reached out to her and said, would you consider joining the team? She again was 
really happy to do so. And uh, she brought another dynamic of not only being a woman, a woman in tech, but a, a woman of color in tech, which uh, is something uh, more entirely. So there are additional um, discriminations and challenges that Azure will uh, speak to. I, I don't want to speak for her, but I know that that is um, a hugely important uh, subject for, for her and her life. Um, and then finally, Femke, the wonderful Femke, who I know you've had Femke on as well. Uh, she's she's absolutely awesome, and uh, yeah, she's a good friend of mine. She's been, yeah, she's <laughs> wonderful, and her tenacity and her drive and what she's done since I first met her when she wasn't even an MVP yet. The initiatives that she started and she's got into cybersecurity herself a little bit. I've seen recently. I, I owe her a call actually. I owe all of these people a call because we've not talked a lot recently because I think we've all, all four of us or five of us um, have gone on to have very, very um, good career choices. We've all landed in roles that are very demanding and take up a lot of our time. And as a result, cloud conversations, we've never officially uh, disbanded it. It's still there and we've never said we'll not do it again, but it just got increasingly hard for us to get everyone together and organize guests. So we might go back to it and I really hope that we could. So, and I started my own YouTube channel because I wanted to be more consistent uh, and do a bit more on the demo side of things. But, uh, uh, and it's easier to do things on your own when you're on your own initiative when it's, it's it's just your project. But we've never said we won't go back to it. But I was very proud that we had a, in the end, we had um, more female hosts than, than male, which uh, I was very proud of. Yeah, that's right. Obviously, with this podcast, we, we, we when we came very first aware of Sophie, was like saw stuff on LinkedIn. I was like, mm. you know, I should do a lot of videos, a lot of talking, very confident. Yeah. And then when we got on an episode, it was like, well, we do need that additional host. And obviously, we'd like it to be a woman since we are a woman in tech podcast. It would be great yeah. if she could be on. And because obviously, she's a younger generation to me and John as well. She has obviously a different view and a lot of things as well. So it's nice to have that included into um, the episodes because there's a lot of questions that Sophie asked that me and John just wouldn't think about or, you know, have that experience to go and ask that question where Sophie's like, so like driven, like, I want to know this, I want to know that. Sometimes, let's say, me and John said it many times, we can literally sit in an episode with Sophie and just, <laughs> just sit in the background, just let her do all the hard work. Mm, yeah. I hear what you're saying, and don't you find that you learn so much from uh, Sophie's sort of generation, this next generation of talent coming through? I'm super excited for because the the drive and the tenacity and uh, the vision that they have is is something really special. I found, and I find that when they approach me, as I I'm very privileged to be approached a lot by um, uh, individuals in in that generation getting into tech roles or wanting to. Uh, they approach me to mentor them and guide them and massive privilege which i take very seriously but equally in that relationship i find and i tell them this i learn just as much from them as as they do from me hopefully and uh it's a two-way street you're never too old to be meant a mentee yourself and uh it's a mutually beneficial experience so i think this next crop of of talent of this younger generation coming through is very exciting 100%. yes it's something i've been trying to have internally it's like as well as being a mentor to the mentee it's also having that reverse as well so if mm. you're basically learning about them and where they've come from and what they're doing it then obviously improves you as a person because yes you can give them all your experience and you know we've both all, all three of us have been you know the IT market a long time um so 
it's nice obviously to share that experience but it's also nice to learn about what they think as well and what they perceive mm. what's going to go with the market because you know we have seen a lot of change from microsoft in the years that we've been you know doing this role yep. so it's nice, it's nice to have their perspective well what do you see because especially with the likes of ai coming in which obviously a new the new thing and copilot and all that kind of stuff you know we'll get to a point where they're taking that on board they're having to like drive that more but what's the next thing after mm -hmm. that so they need to be you know thinking you know three four steps ahead of us where we're gonna think about one or two until we like you know become that retirement age oh completely and i mean the, the pace of change has been phenomenal i mean and they've had a totally different experience growing up with tech in their lives i mean as i said i'm i'll be 52 this year and when i was at school we didn't have computers i think i remember uh, I had a BBC computer that was one of them in the school when I was about 11, maybe. That was the first time I'd seen one and uh, had a tape deck in it. And I didn't do computer studies at school when I did the GCSEs. I was the first ever year of GCSEs, actually, in 1987. I didn't do very well, but we didn't do computers. So now you've got a computer in your pocket. Everyone's got one. Um, so in some ways, you look back, you see all these memes on Instagram saying like it was life was better in the 80s and we were playing out in the streets and grazing our knees and jumping over things on bikes. And I did all that and I look back on it fondly, but um, every generation changes every we I mean, my own my oldest son, George, now he's he's uh, becoming a young man. He's 17 this year and he's off to college now and he probably looks at me as the old um, un untrendy dad. In fact, when I took him to get his eyes tested about a year ago, I'm sure he walked about two paces behind me because he didn't want to see with me with this mop of hair that I've got. Um, so, but um, but yeah, they've, they've got this totally different perspective on on life. And uh, I look back on, say, somebody's born in 1972. I can't envisage what life was like in the 50s and the, the 40s and 60s when my parents were growing up. It just seems alien. And to George, he probably can't envision well the 20th century, for example. It's like uh, it changes so rapidly, ever more rapidly as we get more advanced in tech and the world becomes smaller. Yeah. As we've um, obviously touched on a lot of, I mean, we, we all, don't, all know that you're obviously, you're, you're a great man, ally. I want to touch about a bit of your, your personal life as well, because I know that obviously in your own life, you've had challenges that you have to basically deal with on a day-to-day -day basis. And you've spoken yeah. many times about uh, mental health and burnout. So I thought I'd like you just to have a bit of chat about that as well. Of course, yeah. Um, so the last 10 years or so have been extremely interesting. I've already mentioned my my older son, um, but I have a, a second son as well. His name's Oliver. He's 14 years old now. And when he was two years old, he was diagnosed with very severe autism. Well, he wasn't actually diagnosed with severe autism, but we learned later that he was on the on the sort of lower functioning end of the spectrum, if you like, uh, autism spectrum disorder, which is a broad spectrum. Uh, no two people with autism are the same and can lead very, very different lives, have very different challenges. So that was a journey that we went on very early in his life when we realized that he was not developing in the same way that George had and he wasn't speaking, he wasn't verbal, uh, and we ended up getting that diagnosis. So that was a, a, a life-changing uh, moment. And it came on the same week that uh, my mother passed away after a long illness. <clears throat> so hell of a week, <laughs> to say the least. Um, and uh, 
a few weeks after that, a few short weeks after that, we moved house, uh, which is not something I ever want to do again. <laughs> I don't care if there's anything wrong with this house. We'll make it work. I'll build an mm -hmm. outdoor office like this and <laughs> we'll we'll adapt it. Because I don't think there's anything more stressful than moving house. I think moving house is the most stressful yeah. thing ever. Completely. And, and that was the catalyst. That was kind of like the straw that broke the camel's back for me. And it led to what? I learned was my first ever panic attack um, a few days before we moved. And I didn't think I was having a panic attack. I, I, it, how it manifested in me and still does to this day when I get them, which touch wood is not so often, it feels very physical. It feels like something's physically wrong with me. Uh, and my head, I can't even describe it to this day how it felt. I, my head felt weird. I, um, I felt like I might be having some sort of brain incident or a stroke or something like that but um it turned out it was a panic attack it took me several months to accept that i i rebelled against the doctors and there must be something wrong and uh physically and they sent me for all sorts of scans and tests and x-rays and eventually i had to accept it so over the years i've got used to my anxieties and uh and ultimately my moods as well because i <clears throat> i do suffer with depression um quite a lot and and that's challenging because my mood can be up it can be down there's there's no happy medium with me um and it can happen very suddenly um so it's it's a challenge it's a, it's a big challenge for sure and uh it was a learning journey a learning journey i went on the medication i didn't quite gel with the first one we tried we went on another one and i settled on that and it started to work and i started getting sort of back to normal but after that first panic attack it's like something changed in me that never quite went back to the way i was beforehand i've never quite felt the same as i did before since then something in my consciousness my um, everyday experience sort of went out of alignment uh, it's hard to describe really and it never quite went back to the way it was so i feel like a completely different person um but i've adapted to that and um over the years um, with Oliver's diagnosis and his challenges, we've had to adjust our lives because autism and the nature of Oliver's autism is something that uh, limits our ability to go out as a as a family. He's he's not somebody who particularly, especially since COVID, he doesn't enjoy leaving home very much. He used to go to school, uh, a special needs school, a special educational needs school, a SEND school, as we call it in the UK here. And then COVID happened and then everyone stopped going places. And I think in his brain, he thought, well, that's it. I don't go to school anymore. Um, and when things started opening up again, he, he initially went back. But then back in the early days of the world opening up again, you, you'll recall that if somebody in uh, a bubble or a group or a class, for example, if a teacher or a pupil got a, a positive diagnosis, then that whole class had to be off again and isolate for 14 days. So the one thing people with autism tend to like is routine and familiarity, and it was just too inconsistent. And we ended up in a position where Oliver no longer would go to school. And that sounds a bit silly to people potentially on the outside of that. And we do worry sometimes that people might judge us a little bit and say, well, why don't they just make them? They're the parents, they're in charge, just make them go. Uh, but we feel validated uh, in the fact that we've worked with a multidisciplinary team of social workers and services like LD CAMs and um, pediatricians and uh, clinical nursing staff and that sort of thing. And they all 
come into our house uh, with very, very bold and confident and positive ideas like, we'll sort this out for you, we'll get them back to school. And uh, and then they meet Oliver <laughs> and they realise that uh, if he doesn't want to do something, there's no way that you're going to make him do it. And if you push him too hard and we as his parents obviously know him best, we know how far we can push and how far we can't. And if we push too hard, he actually can turn violent uh, and be quite a danger to himself and others. He's a lovely little boy. If you see a picture of him or meet him, everyone falls for him because even at 14, he doesn't look like a 14 year old. He's got this babyish face and he is the, and I know I'm biased here, but everyone says it themselves. He is the cutest, loveliest looking little lad you've ever seen. He's just gorgeous. Everyone falls for him. And I always say to people coming in, don't be fooled by the cuteness. He'll wrap you around his little finger, but, uh, Thankfully, we're starting to make some progress with them recently, though. I mean, it's taken four years almost since COVID and now, isn't it? And he's only now building up some trust with wonderful group of teachers and teaching assistants who started actually coming to our home every day to engage with them. And slowly but surely, they've won his trust. They've started taking him out a bit. They took him to Little to do a bit of shopping. Then they took him to Little, then the school, to drop off what they'd bought at the school while he waited in the car. And they've eased things gradually. And eventually, he stepped into the building. And now he's going into, he started going into school for one hour a day. And now he's going in for half a day. Uh, and the teachers come and pick him up. So the teachers have been absolutely wonderful. So we're seeing some wonderful progress with him. But... Nice. It's been a hell of a journey for sure. And it's had our lives all over the place and trying to maintain a, a very um, uh, challenging and responsible career. Um, At least you can I say have. it's interesting, Peter. Yeah, it's not <laughs> dull, that's for sure. It's not dull. I mean, I'm very privileged that I'm in the role that I'm in, but I often say to my wife and others in the family that I never intended to get to this level in my career, really. It was kind of a happy accident. I, I never intended to have this much responsibility. I always envisioned getting to a certain level and stopping, but because my wife had to stop working, just become a full-time carer, and the benefits uh, of that are not that much. Every little helps, obviously. Um, she had to give up her own career. Um, financially, it was a challenge for a long time, and I had to elevate myself through sheer will uh, to to a level that I never envisaged getting to. I'm so happy that I did because I love it, but um, there's very little free time in, in the world for me now. To quote, uh, if you're Peaky Blinders fans, Tommy Shelby once famously said, uh, I've learned there's uh, no rest for me in this world, perhaps in the next. I probably butchered the accent, but uh, I always like to try and do it. Well, that's that's it. I, feel... I, mean, I was actually born in Birmingham. A mile from Birmingham City Centre. I don't really have yeah. a Brummie accent because I was born, I've, I've lived on the the outskirts of Birmingham, like Birmingham yeah. stroke the Black Country. So my my accent's very much varied. Um, there, there's times it like comes out, but yeah, I am a yeah, Brummie like through and through. Geordie, I'll, I'll actually, you know, stick to that. <laughs> Yeah, yeah. My Geordie accent comes out sometimes when I've had a few to drink or I get talking about football, but I, th I think I'm less broad than I used to be. <laughs> no, I mean, I thought it'd be good, obviously, to, to share that story. because I, I know, obviously, you know, the, the hard work that you do at home, obviously, supporting your family, because obviously I know your son had autism, and also the fact that, you know, you do a lot of, you know, in a challenging role, you do a lot of, you know, managing work and do the community mm. stuff as well so balancing mm. you know all them three pillars obviously can be quite yeah. challenging yeah. And, and i know that for myself because you know i would like to do more 
you know, community work than I do now, but it's then oh, I'm balancing home life, I'm balancing my own, my own mental health, as well as I run a football team. So it's like, I just can't commit to what I was committing to before. I'd like to do more of it, but it's just the time's not there. Mm, yeah, it's hard finding time. Time is the one commodity that we uh, have to maximise our minutes, uh, and that can be very challenging. And certain things have to come first: family, obviously, and uh, and work to pay the bills. <clears throat> but uh, through sheer force of will, I, I, people ask me how I do it sometimes, and I honestly don't know myself. I just kind of make it work. I just seize little moments throughout the day. I mean, most of my YouTube videos. Um, I usually tend to do those in little chunks here and there. I'll maybe just record an intro and an outro for five minutes over a lunch period, or if I get five minutes in between meetings, and it all just gels together. And I, I was actually, I was going to ask you that was um, what's like your what's your advice on on, on building out by that type of video content? Because I mean, I started probably roughly the same time as you, but you've just been a hell mm. of a lot more consistent. I've been very inconsistent. <laughs> And it's just because of just finding time to just go through and do the editing and all that stuff. It's just, I found it very hard. Mm. It's just sheer bloody minded persistence on my part. And I think that maybe comes out of my own, uh, as I've learned from Oliver, it's explained an awful lot about me as a person because it's definitely from my side of the family that the autism comes. It's indisputable because my brother also has two children who have been diagnosed with autism. So it's definitely in our genes rather than my wife's side. And Oliver's behaviour has explained an awful lot about me, challenges that I had growing up at school and not fitting in and being teased and picked on and that sort of thing. And I was like, ah, and I always think I'm Oliver, um, but he, well, Oliver is like me, magnified by a thousand. He's He's got it way harder. I always tell a little bit of a joke here and that the level of autism that I have means that I can just about masquerade as a normal human being and uh, nobody really notices and just about get away with it. But um, but yeah, um, and I have gone down the path of getting diagnosed and I got as far as being assessed and I had a letter saying that um, I have got all of the traits of, of autism, but if you want to get that fully rubber stamped, you've got to go through a five-year process. And I thought, I don't need to do that. But getting back to your point, um, it's part of that in my DNA drives me to, if I commit to something, I'm fully in, there's no middle ground with me. Um, it's all or nothing. And uh, I, when I decided to do this, I was like, right, I want to do this and I want to get it to a certain level where I can grow a community. I, I can uh, make a bit of a side hustle out of it as well. I'm not going to lie. I have that goal also to earn some money, uh, which is a little side hustle, which I'm starting now to do thanks to the YouTube Partner Programme. But you do have to be persistent and consistent and really, really go for it. You have to do the little details, like you have to get your your hashtags right and put all the settings in, like the captions and just uh, even, I'm, I'm changing things all the time now. I mean, I'm using um, Copilot to suggest better titles and descriptions for me now to make them more appealing. And that seems to have worked a great deal. So. Um, and I do enjoy it. I, I enjoy the interaction with those who my, my small sort of but growing community of members that I now have. And uh, I do additional perks for them, like members only videos. And I've got three levels of membership. You start with getting badges on the standard level. Uh, the middle level, you get members only videos and member shout outs and, and whatnot. And then the top level, 
Um, it's uh, you, you get all of that, but you get a one-to-one -one with me each month to be guidance, coaching, whatever you want it to be. And I have three who've joined at that level, which still blows me over that people would do that. But um, I get so much out of it. I really do. It, it's so rewarding. A lot of hard work, but ultimately rewarding. Yeah, I think there's a lot, so much... Um like skills and stuff um that you can just grow by doing that usually like my my son um seven years old he wants to be a, a youtuber like most kids does do so i think he's uh his birthday last year we got him a desk i gave him my old pc um bought him a little like a tv monitor type um the yeah, tv monitor christmas we got him a decent microphone he was using my one like ferry my microphone up to him i've got him a HyperX, a decent decent enough microphone and um he's just every week now sunday record a video i edit it do a thumbs do a thumbnail go on to chat gvt ask chat gvt to like um give him that the prompt of what he's done ask it for a description in youtube a title for youtube and ask it for all this <laughs> all the hashtags that could be associated with it so you know i'm learning a lot just on that side and uh, and for him as well like so a lot of people, oh, isn't he too young to do that i'm like well no he's, he's learning how to actually present like he's yeah. learning how to talk in front of a like an audience i know it's a, an audience that's not there but in his head the audience is there and he's talking to an audience he's he's getting aware of all of the little bits that go go into it and creating content coming up with ideas and all that type of stuff so i think it's just a, for me it was like a something to really get him to do at a young age where he's actually developing mm. a lot of skills that a lot of people probably don't see for when he's a lot older but yeah, yeah that does my idea for it and he's going well he's got he's got 14 subscribers so he's well happy um <laughs> Yeah. which was more than mr beast did at his age um, at, in, in his first year so like um he uses like people like mr beast some um, unspeakable and like all of these youtubers as like inspiration so it's you know <laughs> it's it's good like for me like it's if he goes into it or teaching or and absolutely anything it's great skills to to, to learn yeah I hadn't, this may, I hadn't heard of Mr. Beast until a few weeks ago. And um, my, obviously George is well into anything trendy on YouTube. And my wife actually, she's very clued up on, on anything that's on trend also. And they were talking and they were talking about Mr. Mr. Beast. And I said, who? And like, just got the typical eye roll from them. So I now know who that is. But, the most, uh, probably the most yeah, famous man alive, probably the most famous man alive now. Like, it's mad isn't it it's yeah. mad and i have no clue who he was in, in my own little world but yeah. um but, but yeah it's, it's never too early to start them i mean um i think george would love to be a youtuber as well but i think his passion for for sports is uh is is overriding that at the moment he's very into physical uh sporting activity and playing football yeah. and, and that sort of thing but uh Aaron, Aaron's, got his, Aaron's got his debut for Faversham town tomorrow morning like he's gonna be oh, playing wow. his first 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 match um playing in goal for him tomorrow so um, that'll be nice. that'll be interesting it's just you know when you get kids of this age i think on monday on tuesday he does football wednesday he does jiu-jitsu thursday he does swimming saturday morning he does football again yeah. and then sunday he does youtube so it's yeah <laughs> so like me your dad's taxi then you're ferrying him yeah, all over yeah. the place i'm guessing Oh, the problem is me, but yeah, Monday I I run the football team for my dad, so yeah. I got training on Monday. I take him to uh, training on Wednesday nights. He goes to um, Carl Henry, who used to play for Wolves. Mm -hmm. 
Mm. Um, so it's basically just like shot stopping for him. Um, and then on Friday, he's got goalkeeping training again. So he's a, he's a goalkeeper. So he has dedicated training again on Friday. And Sundays, you know, we have matches. But John, really? you always talk about, you know, your trophies. Oh, I've got my own little trophy there. Here we go. From Win- Win- oh, look at that. Uh, awesome. well done. Warsaw Junior. So yeah, well, my, my team actually won their first trophy um, just before Christmas. So I had to do like a little bit of a celebration and get him like the spray and water everywhere, giving him medals. By so, the way, have we have we done a have we done an episode since South Coast Summit? Uh, yes, we have. Yeah, we have. Oh, so we I would have mentioned that we're now three time champions of the <laughs> of the pub quiz. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know if I've yes. mentioned it. I think the, the, the medal's over there somewhere. No, I don't, to be fair, I don't think I've actually mentioned it on any episode since then. But, uh, yeah, three times. Not twice. Were you on Zoe's team then? Yeah, we, we're, we're part of Zoe's team, yeah. Yeah, because Zoe's team always wins. We do. <laughs> we do. We do always win. That is that is true, Peter. <laughs> Yeah. We had not competitive this year was quite funny. We had, we had a really good team um in second coming in second place and they were they were beating us quite all the way through to be fair. But um the last the last two rounds we we pulled out of the bag and and one of them was about co pilot. One of the round was just fully on co pilot. Uh, and you had no you had though. me I've just been doing non-stop co-pilot for the past six months. You had Zoe uh, and Kevin, obviously um, co-pilot podcast between the two of them and head up the yeah, co-pilot yeah. fit in Avenard. It was just like, um, we had, <laughs> we had um, Jose who does a lot of stuff on, on security co-pilot and that. We just, it was just like, we, we're going to nail this. And we nailed got every single question right. <laughs> and it just put us no, up to the top. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I missed South Coast Summit last year. I was at the one before, obviously, where I was yeah. with you guys on the panel. But um, I was going to be at the 2023 one, but I got COVID and uh, for the first time. The week and, before, uh, wasn't it? Yeah. Yeah, it was. So I was gutted to miss out because I love South Coast Summit. It's so well put together by uh, Aaron and Nathan. They do a phenomenal job. So I was gutted when I couldn't attend. Anyway, no, no South Coast Summit issue. We're up to up to Scotland for the Scottish Summit. Yeah, when's that? It'll be coming up fairly soon, October, I guess. October. It? I think it's October. Oh, it's October. Right. Okay. Yeah. I'll uh, I'll have to make an effort to get to that because I've actually never been in person to the Scottish Summit. I've attended when it was virtual only in COVID times, and I did a bit of moderating for them, but I've never actually been. So I might target that one. Is a are they sort of alternating year on year with South Coast now? Is that yeah, what I heard yeah, they were yeah. doing? Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah, it's a good idea. I like that, and then it can. I don't because it's it's less it's less conferences. So um, I, I suppose I, I, yeah, I get where you're yeah. coming from. I get where you're yeah. coming from, but uh, it's right. hard for me to get places in person. So I yeah. I'm not as bothered by the lack of in-person conferences, but I appreciate um, that perspective. But there you Unfortunately, go. Unfortunately, it's it's it's, a, it's the only time of the year I'd normally see quite a few of my, like quite a few of my close close friends. In honesty, like. Um, mm. As silly as it sounds, like um, that the group um, like Zoe, Luke, um, Jose, mm. Nathan, and uh, have come like really, really good friends now. We're talking on a daily basis. Yeah. Um, Absolutely. And we only, only really meet other conferences. There are some wonderful people in this community. Absolutely wonderful. Uh, it's the best thing I've ever done becoming part of it. I've met some incredible folks, lifelong friends. Yeah, 100%. I think that's a great note to finish the podcast on because we are well over and it's probably going to be our longest podcast we've done so that's probably why i can shoot at all <laughs> <laughs> yeah. 
But I think I think before we said that um said sometimes we need um we need Sophie to come in and um and 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 talk. But it's been a it's been a bloody good episode. Really good to catch up with you, Peter. I said I don't think um I've been a fantastic guest for the new season of um the Microsoft Spotlight thank podcast. So, so thank you everyone for if you if you're watching on YouTube and I know I know Peter's great for this, is like if you're not subscribed, give us a like, give us a subscribe and um yeah. <laughs> We'll see you on the next episode. Cool. Cheers, Peter. Appreciate it. Thanks. Cheers. Cheers. Bye-bye. And I'll end the recording there. Done. Thank you for listening to the Microsoft Spotlight podcast. Please make sure you hit that like, share, and subscribe button to help us promote our message. You can also follow us on Twitter at MSFT Spotlight. And we're also on LinkedIn, the Microsoft Spotlight podcast. And finally, we'd like to tell you a little bit about Big Titan and thank them for sponsoring this podcast. Remote migrations start here. Let MigrationWiz do the work for you. It's fast, secure, and 100% SaaS, which means you can migrate at any time and from anywhere. Migrate mailboxes, documents, public folders, personal archives, or even Microsoft Teams with just a few clicks. No special training needed and no customer downtime. When the work matters, Choose Migration Wiz.